and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. I'm Sarah Muir and I'm joined as always by Coots CIO Alan Higgins. Each week on the podcast, we look at the three things investors need to know for the week ahead. Alan, what do we need to know this week? So, uh, Sarah, good morning, as it is morning right now. Let's, as we're recording, let's have a look at data. We'll try and be forward looking as always, because I know people have seen the data. uh, The highlights of the data uh, last week, one. Two, you've set me the challenge to go and find a bull on on risk assets and equities, but basically... I found one. It's hard. It will come to that. (laughs) And thirdly, something that you found, uh, which I think was very interesting, is commercial property. Um, Yes. And uh, especially impact on the banks. And but I I thought I'd look a bit little closer to home and a little bit about how Coots invests in in commercial property. Okay, brilliant. Well, let's kick off then with data. We had some big data out on Friday and we've some mixed, some mixed sort of inflation data, haven't we? And the Bank of England's not looking great at the moment. No. So, um, yeah, the main data last week was the employment report, always important. Probably, yeah. as we said before, the employment report and the inflation report, the most important data. And then also European inflation. But let's start with the employment report. Basically strong again. This yeah. weakness in the economy uh, just doesn't seem to be anywhere yet. So a pretty strong report. Some people would say, well, if you look into the detail, less so. So what do you mean by a strong report? A big gain in non-farm payroll, big gain in employment. Yeah. Wasn't it something like double what was expected, nearly the new jobs created? Yeah, pretty, like pretty, pretty much. Yeah. As we know on here, we don't want to get bogged down with numbers because I know as a listener to podcasts myself, if we if I hear too many numbers, my mm. brain starts to check out. But strong. But um, curiously, the unemployment rate did edge up a bit. So there's two ways of measuring employment. Yeah. Um, the employment picture. One, how many jobs are created, and then uh, the unemployment rate. And the way they do it in the US is from two different sources. So I think right. that helped a little bit. And um, there's a wages component, which was which was just in line. But remarkably, the market thought it was wonderful. Well, I was going to say it was a bit of a mixed reaction, though, wasn't it? Because I think sort of equities liked it, didn't they? Yeah. So by the market, I meant equities. Yeah. So, so it was a, a, a near 2% rally in the equity market. And um, yeah, there was nothing in there for bond bulls in, in terms of being close to recession. But I guess it was strong enough. It's the kind of report, Sarah, we've seen before, especially earlier last year, where the market might have fallen 2%. Yeah. It just goes to show how difficult it is to get markets right in the very, very short run. OK, before we come back to that market reaction, just what repercussions for sort of Fed policy? How do we see that now? I mean, are we still going to get a I guess we're going to get a hold on hikes in June, aren't we? Are we likely then to maybe get another rate hike in July? Inflation will be key. Um, it seems there's now it seems to be a bit of a split with the Fed. Mm. <clears throat> Some don't like using the word skip because skip implies that they're going to raise rates next time Mm. uh, after this one, after the June one. Um, Some are calling it a pause. Uh, Some out there are saying, no, we should be raising rates in June even. So, uh, uh, you know, something that we've seen in the UK and the Monetary Policy Committee, we're very much used to splits, but you don't see it so much in the States, the Federal Reserve Board. So, um, look, inflation will need to be very well behaved to avoid a rate rise and yeah. um, let, let's let's see. Okay. All right. Well, on the subject of inflation, 
Um, we've got some. Well, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of criticism of um, of Andrew of Andrew Bailey and the Bank of England at the moment and their their strategy as far as bringing inflation under control. And it's kind of come under more pressure, hasn't it, with the latest EU data? Yeah. So, um, good news on inflation. Firstly, um, uh, last week. So, I will give a number this time. So, basically, the eurozone's at six point one. And core, which caused all the problems in the UK last time, is at 5.3. Right. So a much better performance than the UK. Not everywhere. Italy and Netherlands, disappointed. Italy and Netherlands, dare I say, had kind of a, a more UK inflation feel to it. But against our number at 8.7 and 6.7, you can see I'm blinding myself with numbers already, but UK much, much worse. And yes, uh, look, um, uh, but uh, there's another rant coming later when it comes to commercial property. But, you know, they were way too slow to raise rates mm. uh, everywhere. But um, uh, the Monetary Policy Committee, um, n- no one expected inflation to be this bad. But why keep rates for zero for so long uh, and, mm. and you know, cause, causing these problems? And it, it's, 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 a, it's a real shame. And, yeah, he, the, the UK looks a little bit of an outlier at the moment. But we covered that in some depth, either last time or the time before, Sarah, when did we cover UK inflation? Yeah, we did. Uh, now, I can't remember off the top of my head. Now, I believe it was last week. But yeah, we've talked about that. But, but isn't it fair to say, I mean, the ECB were very slow to start raising rates and they yeah. started from an even lower sort of starting point. Didn't oh, they? yeah, ab- absolutely. ECB slow, Fed, uh, Fed's also slow. They're all slow, to be fair. So it's not yeah. just a UK thing. But I guess what um, I had a look at, <clears throat> just very briefly, I went back to the start of my comp- career and, uh, spoiler, it was the 1980s, comparing US inflation and UK inflation. We only had RPI then, which is higher than CPI. And to my surprise, RPI was higher than the US, but only a little bit. Basically, right. when you neutralise them for CPI, it's the same. But what I noticed is that... <coughs> excuse me. Just like now, when inflation surges upwards, UK tends to suffer. And, and that, was, that seems to be the message. And just like now, we've got a, we've got a global inflation surge. Mm. And the UK suffers more. But on average, the good news is when it averages out, UK inflation can be surprisingly low. But it's just going to be painful to get there. Yeah. OK. All right, then. So we had so on the data front, then we had a, a strong US jobs report um, a little bit of a mixed bag, but overall, essentially, a good number of jobs, new jobs created, certainly nearly twice as many as we expected. And certainly equity markets took that news very positively. We'll wait. Remains to be seen what will happen in June and July with the Fed. Um, but they're being very careful about the language they're using at the moment. EU inflation has come out looking much better, down to 6.1%. Try not to throw too many numbers at you. But the UK is still struggling a little bit and we're getting we're seeing quite a lot of criticism of the Bank of England at the moment. All right, then. Well, on the subject of sort of bullish equity markets and that response to US jobs data, you were given the task of finding a bull. And it was quite a challenge, wasn't it? But I think you've managed to find one. Yeah, managed to find one. Um, Before we get to him, actually, someone that we've spoken about before, Morgan Stanley's Michael Wilson, who, to be fair, has had a really good call on markets until recently um, has basically come out with a new report which I read yesterday and quite interesting he remains cautious this year Mm. he expects uh, basically corporate earnings to take a hit 
and has quite a bearish forecast for corporate earnings. But he puts in there a longer term bullish picture, okay. calling it a secular bull market. So slight, I, I detected a, a slight change of tone there, but um, quite interesting. So just what do on. you mean by a secular bull market? So it's it's a, it's a posh word for longer term. <laughs> Simple right, okay. Short term versus longer term. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you, one might say, well, equities are are always in a longer term bull market. Mm. Kind of they are, but it was just quite interesting to see that in his, in his report. Um, but in any case, that was him. So so the person I found is ex JP Morgan. I used to cover him when he was at JP Morgan. A guy called Tom Lee of Fundstrat. He's independent now, and uh, you see him a lot on um, on media. He does much, much more media than me. I do a little bit of CNBC and Bloomberg. Uh, and um, basically, I'll go through his arguments. Some of the sort of longer-term stuff that I've said, as, as a reminder, Coots is, is conservative rather than bearish. Yeah. Um, so we're nowhere near super bearish. We're just relatively conservatively positioned. So, so basically, he said, uh, argument one is that this level of interest rates is not a problem for equities. Okay, which which uh, we talked about before, haven't we? We talked about before. Our research indicated it was 8%. Mm. I mean, he basically said a different way of looking at it. when When bond yields are in a range three and a half to five and a half, so these are 10-year US bonds, mm. uh, equities do just fine. So that was argument number one. And two, um, ba- a, a lot of people are concerned about a price-earnings ratio of 18 times on the US market, uh, he makes the point, well, it can easily be 20 times against that background of three and a half to five and a half percent bond yields. So 20 times earnings. And um, that's that's fair. And then kind of finally kind of looking forward. Well, by the way, he's uh, related to inflation. He, he, he really sees inflation falling uh, sharply, right. which we do as well. Mm. Um um, and finally, he he acknowledges that you know it can be it can we could have uh, you know tougher earnings ahead, but markets will quickly look forward to twenty twenty four towards the end of the year and start pricing in an earnings recovery then. So that's the, the and, and of course many other reasons. Of course, it's so hard to find a bull yeah. climbing a wall of worry um, yeah. because everyone is worried out there. As you say, where. You know, we're certainly not as bearish as some, but in our industry of wealth management, I've never seen it. You know, whether when I pick up um, the likes of Barclays, what I was reading the other day, UBS, bearish, bearish, bearish on the wealth management side. So I'm quite pleased we're only conservative, I have to say, given where where we are rather than outright bearish. But um, one one question, though, about Tom Lee, is he generally, is he always bullish? Is this just his default setting? And also related to that is, I mean, what were his thoughts on? We talked last week about the sort of boom in AI stocks. And does he feel that that maybe he obviously doesn't see that as an issue or does he see that that's going to play itself out and, and there'll be, you know, money will move into other sectors? How does he see that? Uh, that's, that's a great point. Does he have a bullish bias? I guess he probably does. I have to say, I have, I've, I've, uh, I've never met him. I didn't meet him in the J.P. Morgan days. Uh, maybe I'll post this on Twitter and and tell him to get in touch if he's if he's in, he can come he's on in London. Um, but um, look, I have a bullish bias. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, because st- you benefit from being long stocks in the long run. 
But, you know, the job entails occasionally being conservative or outright bearish. Um, I think it's fair to say maybe more similar to me because uh, earn the risk premium. I'm a big fan of basically earning risk premium, whether that be in credit or equities. Um, but yeah, I'll have to come back on that one. But where, your, your important question on this, this boom in, in NVIDIA and, and seven stocks generally, uh, mm. people are calling them the um, magnificent seven stocks uh, that, are leading the mar- that are leading the market. And on an intuitive level, you would think, Mm, this can't be good. And I get that. It doesn't seem good. But then you test it. You go and test and say, okay, because it's called breadth. When breadth is poor, I only a limited number of stocks driving the market. What should you do? You should buy the market. What happens more often than not is that the other stocks catch up. And interestingly, last week, the breadth really improved. You had banks performing. Well, you had virtually all stocks performing, but uh, not just the so-called Magnificent Seven. We'll have to stick with that now, Um, which includes Apple, Microsoft, uh, not just NVIDIA, of of course. Um, So that's, uh, it may feel uncomfortable, Sarah, but if you go and test it, and we have a good quant team ourselves, and they have tested it because... I did ask uh, the quant team some years ago to test this um, because intuitive to me, this can't be good, but it's absolutely fine. Okay. All right then. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be revisiting this, I'm sure. Which brings us then on to our last topic, which is commercial property. I've been reading quite a bit recently. There's been a few articles in the FT about this. There's some concerns about, well, I think we're going to come to the UK in a moment, but initially with the US, about whether this could this be the next shoe to drop? There's lots of lots of lenders selling their debt at the moment, getting rid of it, offloading it. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, um, well, people recognise that um, commercial property. Well, first and foremost, before we even get to the fundamentals in terms of offices and retail, what is commercial property? It's closer to a bond than it is to an equity. It does have elements of growth capital to it in the sense that rents can go up and buildings cost more to replace. So a bit of inflation proofing. But in general, what do you get? You get an income stream, yeah. not, unlike, not unlike a bond. So take, take our lovely building at 440 Strand, the Coots headquarters. One way of thinking about that, we own it by the way, but just thinking about it, is that Coots or NatWest Group pays rent, pays rent, pays rent, pays rent. The owner owns the building. And therefore, you get you get an income stream, which is like a bond. And your redemption is the terminal value of the building. Right. Which we need to we need to come to. So uh, a good tenant like NatWest or Coots, you can increase the rent typically. So fundamentally, it's attractive. But guess what? If that building was paying four and interest rates are now four and a half, five, they have to reprice. Yeah. So a big part of this bear market in commercial property is a simple bond repricing one so that's and it always happens in commercial property i would say that's largely done the the yield repricing but now we're to the fundamentals which is in simple terms one how 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 reliable is that company to pay the rent and two what is really key the terminal value so we know all about retail right that's not new news 
the new news is, of course, offices. Yeah. What kind of offices? Uh, our office at 440 Strand, that's wonderful. That's going to be there for our headquarters for a long, long time. It's iconic in a way. Um, but other offices are challenged, the so-called terminal value. And yeah, therefore, there's um, another reason to, to, to look for discounts. So lenders with, with loans that are too high loan to value, yeah, they, they want to get out. Certainly, there's a lot of destruction. And you can see that close at home, if you pull up the likes of Land Securities, British Land, they've been very, very poor shares yeah. in, in, in basic equity bull market. How much of this 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 sort of bear market and commercial property is down to a hangover from COVID and the, the working from home sort of mentality, which has never really we've never really gone back to being in the office full time. I mean, we're not back. We're not we're not in the office full time. And I think Bloomberg did a survey. I think it was yesterday or or the end of last week where I think it was more than 50 percent are quite happy to keep with the sort of hybrid working home and office. And that must have an impact on on commercial property, surely. It does. It does. I think the first impact actually, though, was was more important, the yield impact. Because right. it's dramatic. When something goes from four to six, that is these, these are relatively long duration assets. That's a sharp fall. So when yields go from four to six in, in property terms, mm. that's a fall of 20 to 30 percent in property values. That's a sharp, sharp fall indeed. So um but but you're right, Sarah. You're absolutely right. So, and and it seems we have a, a, a very you can put you can split the commercial property market in, in terms of office into two, gleaming brand new with beautiful oxygen. I don't know if you've been into some. I I, uh, I have. You, you you actually noticed I was in the Goldman Sachs office for their conference the other day. You actually noticed wow, the air in here is amazing. It's like they pump it in like you're in a Las Vegas casino. Uh, I'm, I'm not comparing Goldman Sachs to a Las Vegas casino, but you know, <laughs> no, it's very, no. very different. And, and some of these off, these modern offices have high values, but yeah. the older stuff, no one wants. Mm. And, and this is where, yeah. So, so look, we are cautious on this area and given the importance of regional banks, it's going to be tough to roll those commercial real estate loans. Now, the US is an amazing place. So-called distressed debt funds will come in. And, and basically buy the loans, look to buy the loans at the right level and make returns because then they own the building and, and, and stuff will come through it. But yes, it, it's, a, it's a real problem area. I would like to talk about um, the UK because you know, for, for people who don't know this, the UK is completely bizarre for commercial property, three-day liquidity. And... We, notwithstanding the, 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 the troubles, we quite like commercial property, as I describe it, an income stream, a growing income stream. Yeah. Diversification. Well. Yeah. And so on our books is still some so-called permanent capital called investment trusts. Mm. Uh, we still have those in, in certain portfolios. They perform well because they're permanent capital. But the FCA, I'm probably going to get in trouble. You know, a spoiler, there's a rant coming. The FCA... Um, Review of Property Funds and Liquidity Risk, FCA 2017. 2020, FCA consults on new rules to improve open-ended property fund structures. 2021, FCA statement on its work on a liquidity mismatch on unauthorized open-ended property funds. Get on with it. <laughs> Three days obviously is not the right answer. Yeah. Don't listen to these platforms. It's got to be minimum three months. 
previously we talked about the, the very good Blackstone Fund. Yeah. So it had really good performance, to be fair. But that's gated. Um, and it made the press. That was three months liquidity. Even three months is is probably, you know, too short. Permanent capital is the best. Just explain why that's a challenge, why why the three-day liquidity is a challenge and why that doesn't work perhaps with, with property funds. Sarah, I'm giving you a new job. You're working <laughs> for, I don't know, Legal and General Property Fund. Uh, Coots puts in 200 million redemption. Mm. You've, got, you've, got to sell, you've got to sell five properties in three days. Yeah, not going to happen. So what do they do, of course? They keep lots of cash. Yeah. And to be fair, it's not their fault. These are the rules. This is how um, platforms like property funds want to be. It's not legal in general, et cetera's fault. Perfectly good property fund. It's not their fault. It's three-day liquidity uh, wanted by the UK retail market. Um, here's another one. Um, FT advisor, FCA leaves property funds in limbo with lack of date for new rules. Yeah, I'm going to be, I've got a very good friend who works at the FCA. I'll have to send it to him. Um, I'll probably be investigated now and in trouble. But there you go. Please, we're, we're waiting for change here in the UK. Okay. How does that differ then to the US? What, what's, the, what's the setup in the US as far as that's concerned? US longer term lockups, also some permanent capital. They're called closed end funds in the States. Mm. Um, but um, as far as I'm aware, free day liquidity is only a UK thing. So the Blackstone Fund is, is a three-month liquidity thing, and, and, and even that was challenged. They have, they have to limit redemptions on a three-month basis. I mean, ideally, where I worked previously, a firm with an amazing real estate franchise did get caught was Morgan Stanley. They're, they had seven-year lockup funds extendable to, uh, to 10 years. It's essentially 10-year lockup funds. Mm. That's the way really to do it. Because yeah. it's, a liquid, it's a liquid asset class that, needs work doing but any case we wait for the fca it gives us something else to talk about when they finally address it okay yeah and and, and anyone from the fca that wants to come on need to know podcast you're very very welcome as is tom lee um thank you very much alan so yeah then just i, I didn't sort of sum up what we were talking about with the bulls but you know we managed to find one bull um tom lee and the feeling is that you know inflation's coming down that actually um the lack of breadth that arguably we're seeing in the market at the moment with this AI boom with the Magnificent Seven doing so well that actually markets can still do well even in that environment and it's not something to get unduly worried about. And then last up, commercial property. You know, they're seeing a lot of headlines at the moment about some of the issues, the challenges in America. A lot of lenders are selling off their property loans at a discount. And, and, a, and a challenge for the FCA from Alan Higgins um, to sort out the rules around uh, property funds in the UK and the sort of challenge of trying to have a run a fund with three day liquidity or even three month liquidity. And the fact that if you want to uh, take your money out of the fund, you can't just sell a property very quickly. Thank you very much, Alan. A reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. Thank you very much, Alan, for joining me very early this morning. Um, don't forget to check out the podcast page on coots.com and you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can also access previous episodes, including a couple of recent special episodes we did, one on investment scams with Jamie Bartlett, the man behind the missing crypto queen. And we did one with James Butterfield um, of CoinShares on cryptocurrencies. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week. Um, and I believe actually we're going to have Ray Moynihan, our 
uh, FX expert on next week. We did say it was going to be this week, but we got our dates wrong. He'll be on next week to join us with all sort of the insights on foreign currencies, everything you need to know. Um, but that's all you need to know this week. We'll be back next week. Until then, bye for now. <laughs>